Hello and welcome to episode 178 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good, Mark. We are fresh off of the official, I guess, um, answer from the MLBPA that they gave us on Thursday. And uh, as predicted, didn't go that well. But uh, again, a starting point. We're good. And uh, as of now, the spring training is not delayed yet. So I'm still happy about that. Yet. (laughs) It's a low bar and everyone's talking about how it's in jeopardy. But Jacob, how are you? Well, I'm optimistic considering the league is starting to officially plan some spring training games in uh, Las Vegas. But other than that, you know, just trying to get through this uh, this brutal offseason or really get to the offseason because it, we're still waiting for it to officially finish. Yeah, I think the uh, tables have flipped a little bit since our last episode because when we were recording on Tuesday talking about this upcoming meeting, I was pessimistic. And Bryson, you were optimistic, but now it sounds like Jacob and I are optimistic about what's happening, and you're pessimistic, because we did have the labor negotiations, we had the meeting between the MLBPA and the owners, and it went pretty much as expected, as you said, Bryson. Um, MLB came in with their financial proposal, the Players Association said basically, this is nowhere near enough, we don't want this, and that's it. But to me, it sounded like this was a productive meeting. To me, it sounded like... Major League Baseball actually did make some concessions. They made some progress towards what the Players Association wants. And obviously, after the first official offer, the Players Association isn't going to say, oh, well, this is great. We're done. They're going to try to get more. So they're going to play it up as if this is a bad deal. But in my opinion, Major League Baseball, the owners actually did make some serious concessions. So um, if we look at what exactly the MLB's offer entailed the most primary um you know the most notable thing that the MLB offered was a elimination of the salary arbitration process for super two players so that would just mean that those players are able to get paid more earlier based on a formula instead of the traditional arbitration process which you know the the players association doesn't want to get rid of the arbitration process in fact they just want players to hit the arbitration process earlier but Step in the right direction again, concession being made by the MLB owners. Um, They also proposed a new draft formula, so they would have the first three picks go to a lottery to the teams with the three worst records. Um, The union wants it to be more. The union wants it to be about eight of the top picks go to the eight worst teams. But again, you're seeing steps in the right direction, I think, by the owners to say, you want eight, we're going to step it up to three. We can hopefully meet somewhere in the middle. We can make some progress there. Um, MLB also made a proposal on service time manipulations, so they decided that they would reward teams with an amateur or international draft pick if players were on their top 100 prospects list, um, and they qualified for major league awards. So say for instance, if you have a top prospect, you bring him up early enough in the season that he does qualify for an award like rookie of the year, he has the at-bats necessary to qualify for that award, um, you get rewarded with an additional draft pick. So MLB trying to incentivize bringing good players up earlier instead of keeping them in the minors and manipulating service time, which is obviously a concern of the Players Association because that means players get paid later if you manipulate service time. Um, MLB also proposed 14-team expanded playoffs and the universal DH. Um, They didn't adjust their proposal for league minimum salaries. Um, The Players Association wants to up the league minimum to $775,000 a year and have it increase um, every year by a set amount until it gets to $875,000 a year by the end of the CBA. Um, MLB didn't propose anything on the competitive balance tax, but the Players Association wants to increase it um, to $245 million. It's currently at $210 million, I believe. Um, Again, Steps in the right direction. We're seeing the two sides come together, even if MLB didn't make an official change on this aspect. Um, MLB finally didn't make a proposal on changing the service time of players. The Players Association wants players to hit free agency after five years. Currently, it's six years. MLB doesn't want to budge on that amount. But by and large, beyond all those details, to me, we're seeing the Players Association and the owners start to come together on a few things. They're starting to go towards the middle on some of these key economic proposals. So to me, that's why I'm encouraged by this. 
I didn't expect the deal to get done first day. I didn't. I always expected the players' association association to say they weren't impressed by this deal. They laughed out of the room. It's not enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, if you look at the actual proposal, if you look at what the players' association says they want and what the owners are giving the players' association in this offer, to me, it's encouraging. So I'm interested to see if you guys disagree with that. But bottom line, I am encouraged by this first meeting, even if spring training is still in jeopardy. Oh, I'm absolutely uh, encouraged by this. And here's the thing: I first of all, I really like this arbitration type of of uh, aspect of the deal because uh, for for those of you that don't know, basically, after a certain amount of time, if you play, you know, to a certain level, say you're a hitter with a 270 average, and you you have say 15 home runs, etc., you have X amount of stats, and you you determine that you want to make more money, the league will go to a third party uh, or to a third party and say your stats are comparable to these players therefore you're going to make this much and to me if you're going to reach arbitration sooner that's more i think of an incentive to play better because then you'll make more money and you know we've seen in the past where it doesn't necessarily go players way you remember marcus stroman a couple years back where he was very vocal about the fact that he lost arbitration and he said that this was just going to make him better and whatnot but if you can incentivize players to play better by saying we will pay you more earlier in your career i think that's a great thing and then, especially with this drafting rule, where if you can qualify for awards, then it makes more sense to bring guys up earlier. And, you know, one of the things that the league, uh, that Major League Baseball does that's different from other leagues is you can have the best prospect in baseball not start your opening day roster and come up a month later, even though he's guaranteed or almost guaranteed to make it that year. Like in the NHL, you can be drafted in June and be in your, your October opening day roster or opening night roster, but... With MLB, it's very different where you, obviously the service time and I know a lot of people don't agree with it and how you should bring guys up earlier, but if that's the rule where you can get an extra year of service time, I do not blame the owners and the executives of the teams in doing that. So if you can incentivize them bringing them up earlier, that's perfect. It gets you, you know, it benefits the team and it benefits the player because you can come up earlier, but also why wouldn't you want an extra draft pick, especially if you can, you know, you can potentially get another good player out of it uh, and I think overall this this position or this proposition it was not going to be the end of it this wasn't going to solve anything or, or at least finalize the deal I think we all knew that but if you can at least get the players association to believe that or reasonably believe that these players are now going to make more money earlier on in their career and can be able to control themselves in terms of how much they make while still benefiting the teams by giving them these draft picks, then it's it's definitely a very good step in the right direction. And I'd really would like to see what the Players Association counters with and what else they counter with, because this is not the only thing that gets worked into uh, a CBA. But for a first step, I think it is definitely a good step, even if there is still a lot more steps to go. Yeah, for people kind of confused about this or whatnot it kind of just shows you the amount of work that has to be done between these two sides because there's a lot uh that has to be addressed and I guess from the results of their meeting I guess it didn't come to a surprise going back to um you know if I've became a little bit more pessimistic of course I have because I finally I guess we finally found out the um, the reaction and the answer from the players, even though we kind of expected it. So I guess that's how I'm kind of taking it in, even though none of us were expecting something to get done by then. But yeah, there's just there's a lot going on uh, in terms of arbitration, in terms of service time, in terms of everything like that. We know that um, well, yeah, one of the key details was the players wanting service time to decrease by a year, but then owners want to keep it an extra year because they are afraid of how, you know, based off of history of how players, once they're actually available uh, as an unrestricted free agent, they usually go to a big market team and MLB owners are trying to keep that from, I guess, prevent that from happening. But then, you know, players want teams to tank less, which I also agree with because I think that there is a large margin and it's too much of a margin uh, of the league who purposely tanks for specific reasons like draft picks and everything like that. So if they can if they can find a way to remove that and if including expanded playoffs in uh, also kind of supports that, then I'm all for it and we all know that that's also was a major topic of the uh, proposal and I believe the players union actually uh, originally before the lockout proposed 12 teams 
And then, of course, the owners proposed 14 teams before the lockout and after the recent um, negotiation that they, or the, the recent proposal that they gave. So the one thing is true, and it was what Ben Nicholson-Smith tweeted, is that the biggest bargaining chip that the players have is the expanded playoffs because they know that this is pretty much one of the biggest things that the owners want. And, of course, when you look at it throughout the other sports, especially the NFL who expanded their playoffs recently, it just brings in more money and it brings in more revenue and everything like that. So they know that the uh, that the players want that, or sorry, that the owners want that more. And of course, by that, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plans out as well. We know that the Universal DH, it feels like that's also going to be a lock. It's just something that they haven't really gotten to yet. And based off of everything that Mark and Jacob explained, the pretty much the first things that they're addressing are everything that you guys mentioned in terms of arbitration, um, you know, all of that, draft picks, draft lotteries. And I'm all for a draft lottery as well. I think that, you know, you take away that certainty of locking up a potential top pick by tanking um, intentionally because obviously now you pretty much rely on odds and rely on a uh, kind of just, you know, rely on different types of, um, you know, it's just, it's not for for sure to pretty much say that at least because it's not certain and then of course everything's mixed up with odds and chances and that's pretty much the word I've been trying to use it's by chance and you see that with uh, hockey you see that with basketball and then of course baseball's never really had that so if you put that in place I think that also kind of takes away a team's willingness to you know for sure blow things up and that's pretty much what I want to see regardless of who's right and who's wrong when there's a deal in place for them to f- find a way to make the league more competitive between or just out of, you know, more teams that are trying to actually compete rather than, you know, tank and miss the playoffs and get a better draft pick. I think it's better for the league if more teams are obviously competing like that. So there's a lot to be addressed here. There's a lot to be sorted out. We know it's January 15th. We are assuming at this point, just because, you know, as much as we expected, very lack of progress by this point. It appears that spring training starting on time is slowly becoming unrealistic. However, again, one of the main things that people have been pointing out is just because spring training's delayed by a little bit, it doesn't mean that the season can get started or it doesn't mean that the season doesn't start on time. So that's obviously the major thing for us. And, you know, pitchers and catchers report we know is now less than a month away. So if you have players kind of reporting right at the beginning of March, I believe that if you pretty much do the math on that, it's about a week or a two-week delay, I guess, at most. And you feel like if they can start spring training around that time, if you feel like you can start the season on time as well. So that's pretty much what I'm hoping for. I don't think any baseball fan's going to argue against a shortened spring training because everyone knows kind of how it works in terms of the first few days of excitement. And then after that, it feels like it's never going to end and it just takes forever for you to get to April. So that's pretty much the mindset for me on that one. And um, again, if they want to delay spring training, if that's what it's going to take for this to happen, if for pretty much the two sides to come together and make a deal, I'm all for that because I, you know, you go back to, you know, where the players stand and how, you know, things aren't exactly on a good relationship status between the two in terms of arguments, in terms of disagreements. And, you know, it just feels like, they are going to wait out as long as possible to make a deal. And if that includes uh, delaying spring training, then they're going to go a little bit past the original you know, window that we thought was the latest they can make. Because at first, everyone was kind of assuming right before spring training, they're going to make a deal and they're going to avoid a delay in any sort of matter. But at this point, it seems that it's going to extend a bit because people are willing or players and teams are going to be willing to maybe sacrifice a little bit of spring training. So if that's the case, if that's what it's going to take to get a deal done, I think we're going to be kind of happy with that. But um, yeah, I I mean, as the weeks continue to go on, I think the, you know, again, the bar of me being pessimistic is going to slowly shift towards the other side. So it hasn't moved a lot. It's moved a little bit for sure. Um, You know, you always wonder the worst case scenario in your head. And then you always obviously feel like that this is kind of stupid and you want teams and or so you want the players and the owners to figure this out so we don't have to talk about this for a very long time so we know that there's a lot to be addressed and we can only hope that the players um, counter offer very soon we know that they obviously will but we don't know I guess how long it will be until then but you can only assume it won't be that long until um, that happens so I think what baseball fans need to look out for and what they need to be what they need to watch in terms of things to slowly move in the right direction because things I guess are moving and it is kind of an in a good way, and I think Jeff Passan made a very good point on one of his tweets, is that they finally are talking, and this is also, as much as it's not the greatest news, um, it's somewhat also good news because they're talking. So you want to see more counteroffers, you want to see more 
negotiations and them going at it a lot. And I think that's pretty much the only thing you can hope for at this point because they need to talk and figure things out. And if they don't talk, then there's no progress. So that's why I think that as much as it sucks that there was obviously no deal or nothing close to a deal at this point on January 15th, uh, they're slowly making that progress. And you feel like eventually they will get to that point. But uh, there's a lot that has to be sorted out. And you guys pretty much nailed it on the head with all the exact details of what came from their Thursday uh, proposal this past week. You bring up a good point in that Spring training being shorter might not be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> if we miss out on two or three weeks of spring training, I might honestly be thankful about that because spring training <laughs> is always a slog. It turns into a very boring two, three weeks towards the end of it when you're just waiting for the regular season to start. So might not be a bad thing if it's delayed by a couple weeks and that becomes a new normal. And I mean... The length of spring training as it is established now is something that's been around for many years before players had the regimen that they have in the offseason, before players stayed fit all throughout the year, trained with other players all throughout the year, stayed in touch with their team all throughout the year to be on track in terms of development and player development, all that kind of stuff. So shortened spring training might not be a bad thing, but okay. We talked about the labor negotiations. We're done with that. I am waiting for the day when we don't have to talk about labor negotiations for five years. But until that day comes, we'll still be doing check-ins every week. But uh, moving on to the other Blue Jay news from this past week and actually from today, it's the fact that the international signing period has opened up and the Blue Jays are active in that they've uh, signed. I don't know if it's official yet, but um, they're rumored to have signed um, international catching prospect Luis Meza to a $2.25 million deal. Um, I don't know what there is to say on this. I don't have many thoughts. Um, apparently, he's one of the top catching prospects um, on the international market right now, which is obviously a good thing for the Blue Jays. Um there's lots of talent that they can get on the international market that they've gotten in the past. You know, you think of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is one of those guys. Uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr. is another one of those guys. Um, I believe Lourdes Goriel Jr., when they first signed him, it was like a seven-year, $21 million deal, and he's still on that deal right now. So, obviously, this is a great signing for the Blue Jays. There is virtually no downside. The thing that I've seen a lot of people saying is, why do you need a catcher? Why sign a catcher when you have Danny Jansen, when you have Reese McGuire, when you have Alejandro Kirk, when you have Gabriel Moreno coming up through the system? In the best case scenario, Luis Meza is not going to make his major league debut for another three years. And a lot can change in three years. And if Meza turns out to be an incredible prospect, either you trade whoever you have at catching in the major leagues right now, or you trade Meza for someone else. So I it's never a bad thing to get a good prospect, especially someone who's not going to be making his debut for three, four, five years, and have that guy in the system in the case that anything goes wrong. Now, he's not the only guy the Blue Jays signed. The Blue Jays are also expected to sign Dominicans uh, Raylan Tejada and Giancarlo Joseph. Um, that's supposed to happen on Monday, according to Shai Davidi. Um, and all these international signings, like the signings happen, but the teams are in negotiations and development and talks with these players for years before the signings actually happen. So none of this is a surprise for the Blue Jays. We're just learning about it for the first time. But yeah, anyone who's saying, why are you signing catcher? Things change. A lot can change in three years. So um, yeah, only upside for the Blue Jays here. And I'll tell you what, catching is not the position that you uh, can complain about having an influx of uh, of talent there because either you have it, you can use it, or you can trade it. And I mean, look at, this is not a catcher, but look at Austin Martin last year was turned into eight years of, or nine years of Jose Barrios. And you can do something like that. And I've seen with Mazes specifically, I was just looking through Twitter and a lot of people are saying this is a very good signing. And obviously, yes, this is it's not new to the Blue Jays. It's just new to us. But as people are hearing it, they're saying, yeah, this is, it's not a bad option. And who knows, maybe he can turn out to be, to be quite good. And I think catching, it's a weird position for the Blue Jays right now because Danny Jansen has shown signs of being a good offensive catcher. He's definitely a good defensive catcher, but the offense is, is very spotty. Alejandro Kirk, I don't think we've really seen enough to fully grasp what he's capable of. And then Reese McGuire, same thing, just kind of up and down. So 
if you can have as many catchers as you as you potentially could have or and you know you can especially with Gabriel Moreno in the system you know like if you can have these many guys uh, capable and ready to to catch at one point then it's just there's absolutely no downside to that and at the end of the day it's not like the team went out and spent 35 million dollars uh, on a couple seasons of him it's not like they broke the bank they're giving him an option or giving him a chance giving themselves an option and it's definitely it's not a bad idea and I like how you did mention Guerrero because I, I was looking back I don't remember when I saw this but I saw this many months ago and it was just a random tweet by the Blue Jays Twitter account back in 2015 and it was something like Blue Jays signed international free agent Vladimir Guerrero Jr. son of Hall of Famer Vladimir Guerrero Sr. or whatever and nobody really thought much of it until they started to see what he was doing in the minors and so let's give him a chance let's you know this is just it's it's kind of how the offseason goes you know you, you don't only acquire talent through the draft and through trades and whatnot this is just one other element of it and it's you know what it's news it's something that we can at least talk about because if we can't talk about Chris Bryant or Javier Baez or somebody let's at least talk about this because hey prospects are probably one of your best assets to have as a major league team and really as a sports team so I'm happy with this not a ton we can say right now because it is a prospect that we're expecting to see or, or hoping to see or projecting to see in a couple of years so as of right now I'm happy with it we just hopefully this can pan out and hopefully he can be at least part of this team in the future yeah like there's only so much you can say like the guy's 17 years old so I mean you know obvi- obviously too on the rankings we know that he's 33rd out of MLB's top 50 international pro- uh, pretty much prospects and I think the only takeaway that you can say is that the Jays are one step closer from kind of fielding an a, all catchers lineup with uh, <laughs> consisting of nine people so I saw that tweet somewhere I don't know who it was but that's where I got it from. I don't want to take credit for it. But yeah, that was a funny joke uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, there's only so much again, like he's 17 years old. And yes, who knows? Like nobody really has anything on him in terms of numbers. The only thing that's kind of been described um, was an article from Sports Illustrated. And it was pretty much saying with the loose, easy swing, uh, Mesa is one of the best young hitters in Venezuela with solid whole field contact skills and room in his frame to develop more power. He owns a compact swing with a leg kick, and much of Mays' value comes from his projectability behind the plate. Uh, he's an advanced pop time and a strong arm for a catcher and joins a long list of recent Venezuelan catching prospects who have been broken into professional baseball. So, again, there's not too much on him, but um, good for him. I mean, the deal was pretty, um, you know, it was reported this morning, like you mentioned, Mark, it was worth $2.25 million, and he's going to join the Blue Jays' uh, farm system. So I guess definitely a name to keep track of. I mean, you know, kind of, I guess, around this time of the year, too, around spring training, you always hear of prospects, even if they're not even in major league camp, they could be a minor league camp. And um, I guess you can just add them to the long list of people to keep track of. We know there's lots of prospects that remain in the Blue Jays farm system that we will be keeping an eye on. Someone like Gabriel Moreno to start the year, and of course, Jordan Groshans, people who are very close to the MLB level. So you can add uh, Luis Meza in there pretty much to start off, I guess, in low A ball, if anything, if he even plays for the Jays um, minor league system this year, who knows? But uh, yeah, he's just a name to add to it. And um, he's not the only one. Like you said, there's a couple more people that are on the way, as reported right now, not official. But, um, you know, it's always good that you see the Jays and pretty much other teams sign international free agents. I'm always kind of interested in learning about a few other a few other baseball players rather than the draft and pretty much other prospects. So it's good that this is always included. And I've always had an enjoyment of tracking who the Jays signed. So for Luis Meza, 17 years old, best of luck. And you hope that one day, maybe he's starting in the blue Jays lineup. You never know. It's just, there's too much on him and it's hard or not enough on him, I should say. And it's pretty much hard to say how his career is going to pan out at all when you're 17 years old. So good on him for that. And um, again, it's something It's better than, like you were mentioning, Jacob, instead of talking like about Chris Bryant or Javier Baez or Jose Ramirez because we can't, you get something other than labor talk and you get the international prospects list. So there's something from that. And, um, you know, it's okay. I mean, I, I one of the first things I saw today was the signing or the reported signing and you wish him the best of luck. He's, you know, the picture of him signing the contract was uh, posted on Twitter as well. So, you know, you, you, you're definitely happy for the guy and you can only imagine how cool it is signing the professional contract with a baseball team at 17 years old. Yeah. I mean, congratulations to him from our perspective. It's all speculation. I like to think that sometimes when we're talking about baseball, we know what we're talking about. This is something we know nothing about. Like we literally just heard his name 
this morning when it said the Blue Jays were signing him. So we're at the liberty of whatever we're hearing from Shai Davidi saying his scouting report. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Mitch Bannon from Sports Illustrated reporting on his frame and what type of catcher he can develop into. It's all speculation from us. That's what we're relying on. We know nothing. And I think it was Josh Goldberg, um, formerly of Sportsnet, now of, I think he's writing for Jay's Journal now. He was the one who tweeted that Blue Jays are one step closer to fielding a team of nine catchers. So, yeah, good news there for the Blue Jays. At least we think we're, again, at the mercy of other people. Um, now, Bryson, we mentioned last week that the Zips projections for the Blue Jays are out. Um, you have a little bit of a, a game for us, I guess? It is. It's the common game that you mentioned at the end of last week. So it's the game where I give you scenarios, and at the end of it, you tell me if it's unlikely, if it's possible, if it's likely or certain. Now, these are based off of the 2022 Zips projections, like you mentioned from Fangraphs. And of course, it was released about a couple weeks ago. And um, I think for most of it, I think we kind of, you know, everything kind of seemed self-explanatory. So I tried to make it a little bit, you know, less simple. But unfortunately, there's so much you can do when you just get numbers like this. So bear with me on that. And of course, I, you know, there's a few surprises, I think, or at least one that stood out for me that I guess we will eventually get to. I don't want to spoil it because um, it was kind of something that was pretty much a lot of people were actually talking about it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about in terms of one in particular player with projected numbers that aren't supposed to be as good as last year. So we will I don't want to spoil it too much. So we will eventually get to that, but I will give you the first one. And um, I guess we'll start off with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So we know how he went last year. We know the expectation level that he had. We know that he pr- pretty much proved the baseball world wrong. He's starting to have fun with it now, saying people were calling him a bust. And uh, he exploded for 48 home runs. And that's going to be the first question I asked because this was also something that I'm going to build off of something that Mark actually created last year because we had a segment sometime in the summer and you asked both of us including yourself we all gave predictions if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would hit 50 home runs this year and I think most of us were very optimistic about it Mark I think you're actually the only one who said he wasn't so I'll ask you again in a full 2022 season after what we saw last year what are the chances that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits 50 home runs I'm gonna put it at possible so in my mind if we're like the you said the options we have are certain likely possible or unlikely if i was putting like a percentage on all these i would say unlikely is like 10 percent. possible is like 25 percent. likely is maybe like 60 percent and certain is maybe 80 percent. so i put it at possible like 20 25 because honestly i think don't kill me for saying this but oh, i think no. vladdy's gonna be a little bit of a letdown next year not in that he's Ooh. going to disappoint people but in the fact that his stats are just going to be slightly worse. And I know he's like 22, like he has the whole world ahead of him. But I just think, you know, sophomore slump, even though it's not a sophomore season, after such an amazing season, I don't know where he goes from there. And in terms of home runs, at least, I'm pretty certain he's not going to hit 50. I'm pretty certain he's going to be below the 48 he just hit. And I say that for two reasons. First off, I'm looking at the historical pattern, namely Jose Bautista from 2010 to 2011. When Jose Bautista had his 54 home run season in 2010, jumping to 2011, he bumped down to, I think, 47 or 48 home runs. He didn't have as much power numbers, but his overall offensive numbers were a lot better. His OPS plus was um, significantly higher. His war and offensive war jumped significantly. So I think after an insane power season that we just saw from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., we might see the power take a little bit of a step back, especially now that he's working out this offseason, he's trying to lose more weight. But I think we might see the other skills jump up a little bit. The on-base percentage might increase. The other numbers might increase. So that's what I'll have my eye on. I don't think he's going to hit 48 home runs again, so I'm going to put it at possible. But again, that's like 20 25% for me. But I don't think his overall offensive numbers are going to be horrible. But I think it, it might be a letdown for some people, the fact that he's not hitting the same amount of home runs that he did last year. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a bit of a letdown that he hits 45 home runs to some people, which like I think it, it, it's it's interesting to see because I'm in the same boat as you. I think it's possible. I'm going to put it at 33 and a third percent, so like one third. I, the thing is, is he had a he had like a God level season in 2021 <laughs> or like S tier. I don't know how rankings work, but like, he played 161 games. 311 average which 311 average I think is definitely very very uh it's he can replicate that easily 
48 home runs, I think, is a little tough to replicate. I'm not saying he can't do it, and I'd love to be proved wrong, but I'm, I think it's more likely, I think he'll hit at least 40 or around that, because look at what the best Blue Jay sluggers do, they hit around that, look at the 2015 days when everyone, Donaldson, Bautista, Encarnacion, they were all around that, that's probably likely where he's going to hit, and a bit of a regression, but still among like the league leaders in these offensive categories, so it's not really a bad thing, it's just, if you, if you were like, one of the best players in the league. It's very hard to to still be that and still have those numbers that are as good, but I still think it's possible. Like I'm not saying it's unlikely. I, I think he's going to hit around 40, which is not a bad number by any means, and if, especially if you're one of, I don't know, three, four, five guys that can hit 30-plus home runs, you don't even need to hit 50. You just need to pass the baton to the next guy, but it's definitely, it's more of a possible than it is likely I think just considering it, it's very hard to have one of the best seasons in Blue Jay history and then either do that or do better than that as I look at his MLB page with no picture and stadium lights <laughs> in the background I've you know a little bit surprised that you guys are a little bit more pessimistic but of course you both make very good points so this one's going to be a little bit uh kind of I guess this might throw you guys off I'm going to say certain I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits 50 home runs in 2022. What? Yeah, I, I say certain. And here's a couple of reasons why. So, last year, we know how close he was to it. The only reason that he didn't get to that point was because of the August that he had. So, his, his numbers dropped in August. And it, they weren't horrible, but they weren't what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was doing. 267 average. His power was at 440 for slugging. His OPS was 786. And uh, I think he only hit six home runs that month. But, um, you know, everything about his numbers were down. I think, I don't think he's going to be regress that you or regress to the point that you guys are talking about I think he's going to be just as good next year maybe if not better I just think that building off of a season that he had proving everybody wrong I think he's going to take a pick up right where he left off I don't expect any sort of significant drop off and if it is it's a little bit but I do think if it's a little bit there's still a very good chance that he can get to that mark and that's why you know seeing the or the August that he had where he slowed down a bit I blame that for why he didn't get it. He had 48 home runs. It's not out of the question if he put up that uh, amount of home runs. He was that close to getting it, and we all know the OPS that he had. It was pretty much over 1,000 all year. So for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, I do think, especially this year too, we know that the team's going to be a little bit different. We know that Marcus Simeon's not around, and we're assuming that the Jays will be adding somebody, uh, regardless of during its spring training or pretty much right after the lockout ends right beforehand. But we, we're assuming that somebody will be coming for, to the lineup. But as of now, he is right. He remains at that top of the order. He remains at the three spot. And uh, I think that he needs, obviously, to pr produce as well as he did last year, too. And it's not a, the question for me to assume that he's going to put up these numbers or these type of numbers every single year. I'm not going to say every single year is going to be just as good because I do think there's going to be years of his career where he pretty much posts the numbers that you guys were talking about in terms of a, a slight drop-off, but not like, you know, it's still elite numbers for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and he was this close to the MVP. I still think he has an AL MVP award to win. I think he might be a little bit motivated, too, that he missed out a little on Shohei Otani. There was a huge, we all know the split and the, div the divide throughout the baseball fans of, you know, that people thought Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should have had more recognition, and uh, I guess he did in a way, but he still came up short. And it wasn't as exactly even as people thought. It was basically one-sided. So he has an MVP award to win that was stolen from him. And I think that he deserves uh, recognition that he can easily put up 50 home runs. I mean, there's no question for me to doubt him on that. We see the power. And at this point, I still think that he's going to be just as good as what we saw last year. And that's crazy for me to say because the numbers that he put up are video game numbers. But everything that we heard about him coming up through the minor leagues and basically everything that was hyped up around him when he first came into the league, we never saw that. We finally saw it last year. He has it under his belt, so he can say that he finally put up the numbers that people are expecting him to put up. But he wants more. He definitely wants more. You see the videos, the workout videos on Twitter. Uh, I think it's Jesse Rogers. I think he posts it. But uh, if it's not him, 
Somebody is posting videos of him. It seems like he's going to be in even better shape in 2022. All signs point for me for him to be just as good. And if it's not just as good, maybe it's a little bit worse. However, the power is still there. The power is not even close to running out. It's only going to get pretty much stronger. And he's still got lots of things to learn. He learned a lot last season, obviously, for sure. There's a lot that he's going to take over from what he learned. And I think that he he has some stuff to... um, He has unfinished business in terms of that MVP award. I was just going to say, do you think it's certain he hits 50? What do you think... What do you think the odds are that he overtakes Jose Bautista's record for the most home runs in a single season, which well, is 54? I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I said yeah. 52 is, before, is it 54? but it's 54. Yeah. It's 54. I got it wrong a few weeks ago. But So okay. what do you think the chance there he gets 55? 50, okay, so 55. So I guess we'll play. We'll do this. I say um, you guys said possible for 50. I'll, I'll say it's likely. I, I th- I'm expecting wow. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to take off and right from where he left off. I'll, obviously, that's not certain, wow. likely, but I, th- I I have high expectations in case you did not know for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> in 2022. Well, here's my question for you guys. I want, without looking it up, I want you guys to guess what baseball reference is projecting Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s home run total at. Baseball reference? Baseball reference. Just a quick number. 44. 45 maybe it's 31 (laughs) (laughs) i could hit that like it was baseball reference that's uh... disrespectful (laughs) just if you needed a reason to distrust baseball reference projection system there it is for 31 home runs for vladimir Guerrero jr um yeah that's (laughs) i would put that under uh, his chances to pass that are certain he's getting certainly 40 regardless of ever what everyone thinks but yeah i think fan graphs i think had him at 43 so pretty much closer actually to what jacob projected so i don't know i thought that was a pretty interesting first one and i think that's um what we're gonna obviously gonna see so the next one i have for you so this one's a little bit this one's not a home run question so this one's for bo bichette so we know the struggles that he had on the field, especially to start off uh, 2021, it didn't look good. We had a pretty much conversation if they should move him to second base, swap him with Marcus Simeon. So the next one is Bo Bichette finishes with under 20 errors. And to give you guys a number, in 2021, he had 24 errors. So do you guys expect Bo Bichette to be significantly better at second, or sorry, at shortstop next year? I think, yeah, I think it's certain he's a lot better wow. because he got better as the season goes on or went on. You know, and it, 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 there were growing pains, some that maybe shouldn't have occurred in your third year in the majors, but I think he's definitely going to get a lot better. And like, I think the defense in general got better as the season went on. So I think it's, it's definitely certain he gets a lot better and it, it hopefully like, obviously he's on the team. He's guaranteed to be here. It's not like he needs to go sign a deal. So once spring training starts, he can, he can be on the next plane to, to Dunedin and he can work out any kinks that he needs to. So I I think it's it's certain that he gets better. The only thing that I would caution people to look at and and when they're watching the games is pay attention to how many throws he makes that a first baseman whoever it is has to dig it out of the dirt and kind of save an error because those are not errors obviously because the the first baseman made the out, but in terms of actual errors that's definitely going to go down. He made I think the majority of them in the first half of the season, but also pay attention, I think, to the to those types of situations, but which I do think will go down. Like as the season goes on, he knows he's the shortstop. He knows he's the short the shortstop of the future. So just ease into it, and I think the the errors will definitely calm down because he has a like he's an athletic guy. Like I think that it's it's fair to say that he has the capabilities to be a good shortstop. So all he's got to do is is work on those errors, which I do predict will happen. Yeah, I think it's pretty certain. Um, I would actually say like. If you put the number at 15 errors, I would also say it's certain that he hits that or below because he improved so much defensively over the course of the season. I'm trying desperately to find his defensive splits on baseball reference right now, but I'm struggling. I'm, I'll keep you guys posted if I ever find it. But um, I know just by the eye test and what we saw and what we watched – he was a lot better defensively towards the end of the season and looks like he only had one error in the month of September after a whole bunch earlier in the season and only one in the month of August as well. So only two errors the last two months of the season compared to the high volume of errors he had throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, just in the course of one week at the end of July, he had one, two, three, four, five errors over 
one, two, three, four, five games. So you had one air per game over a stretch of five games at the end of July compared to two errors in the entire month of August and the entire month of September. So just based on those numbers, yeah, I think it's certain that he is below 20 errors. I think it's certain that he's below 15 errors. I think we're going to see a big improvement from him defensively in the 2022 season. Yeah, I forgot to put a number, but I'll put it at 10, I think, just to be a little bit more uh, more optimistic. But I think it's it, he, there's going to be a massive I- uh, improvement in Bobichet's defense. I agree with that. And just to quickly correct myself, it was Hector Gomez who has been posting the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. workout video. So I just wanted to clarify that quickly. But yeah, I'm, I'm likely on it. I'm not going to pretty much say it's certain, but I think it's pretty much close to it. So I'll, I'll say just for the sake of it that it's likely that he does. And yeah, I mean, it just started off really poorly for him and we had multiple conversations again we had a pretty much topic should they move him to second base and I remember at the time uh, I remember saying that they shouldn't they should kind of ride this out we know that he was working with Marcus Simeon pretty much every day since the spring began and uh, you can imagine everything that he learned we we pretty much saw it from the last game of the season when he had an press conference the end of the season press conference and he said how much Marcus Simeon meant to him so you can imagine that he learned a lot playing with him every day um kind of uncertain of what's going to happen with the infield again from when we were talking about uh in the previous segment with Guerrero so maybe he's playing with the new third baseman second baseman it's going to be one of those two we don't know which one it is yet but so it's it's obviously going to be a little bit of an adjustment for him too because Marcus Simeon was there every day he didn't DH and uh, now you're going to be playing with the only locks that we know for sure are going to be people like Biggio, Espinal, and um, again somebody might be on the way but we don't know where so Bobichet's going to have a little bit more responsibility I think in the infield next year and I think it's a challenge that he's willing to take and he's really ready to step up and take that next step especially defensively so we know offensively he was really good we're uh, Fangraph's projecting pretty much a good year for him. I think that's expected as well. So the uh, the defensive game for me is going to be one of the highlights that I kind of watch for him this year as well. Just more responsibility seems like it's coming from Boba Bichette in 2022, and I'm all for that. So another question I have, it's for somebody in the top of the order. We all know him very well. Um, one of the biggest signings at the time last year was George Springer. Uh, he was unfortunately unhealthy throughout pretty much majority of the year, and when he was healthy, he showed the flashes of George Springer that we all know of. So I guess I'll have kind of a question and I'll add something on top of it. And we all know it's very pretty much, it's impossible to predict injuries. It is. So I guess I'll give, it'll be more of like a level of optimism. But before that, I will ask you, assuming he's healthy in 2022, his career high in OPS was in 2019. It was 974 with his last year with the Astros. So assuming George Springer is healthy, what are your thoughts or what are the chances that he posts an OPS above 900? And of course, I guess on top of that, what is your confidence level with his health? Gee, um, the health question, confidence level. Yeah, that's, that's tough. I think I'm pretty confident. I think he'll, I know we're not talking about the amount of games he'll play, but I think if I was trying to set the, like the over under for his games played this season or this upcoming season, I would probably go like, 130 135-ish. I think that's a reasonable number to expect from him because you look at his previous numbers, he's never missed as much time from injury as he did in 2021. 2020 shortened season again, 51 games and then um I guess 2019 was the most injury shortened season that he had. I believe he had 122 games compared to 140 in 2018, 140 2017, full 162 in 2016. 2015, not sure what happened there, but he played 102 games, and then 2014, his debut season, 78 games. So what we saw in 2021 was basically the worst of his injuries in his career. Maybe that doesn't bode well heading into his age 32 season, but um, I think we can expect him to be far healthier than he was this past season. So to me, I would set it around 130, 135. Again, pretty unpredictable. But if we're talking about OPS, I think it's almost, I'll put it at certain, for an OPS above 900. Um you look at his OPS throughout his career, he had an, even despite the injuries he had this past year, and despite what we saw, extremely cold stretches when he came back from the IL at the start of July, when he went back on the IL in the uh, the middle of August and September, we saw extremely cold stretches in there, and his OPS still for 2020, 20, excuse me, 2021 was 907. So if he can struggle that much with injuries and everything else considered and still have an OPS of 907, I mean, come on. I, I think he's I think he's gonna 
reach that for certain this year. And you just look at his track record. The only year of the past three years that he hasn't hit it was 2020, and he was one thousandth off. He was at 899 instead of 900. And then I guess 2018 was the last full season that he missed out on it. He hit 780, so a down year for him. But even looking past that, he's hit it a lot of times. So yeah, I'd put it at certain. Yeah, just to get that out of the way, I think it is certain. You know, look, he's when he's healthy, he's an elite player. But in terms of his health, that's where it gets a little difficult because it was the oblique first, if I'm not mistaken. That's what we were. So we he injured himself. We were expecting hoping or whatever optimistic to some extent that he would play in New York that opening weekend obviously wasn't the case missed I don't know what it was like six weeks or four weeks like a month he comes back or no then it was a quad injury that he comes back from too early and then he re-aggravates that he was out for two months so really there's there's injuries there but had those have been handled the right way I don't think it would have lasted as long as it did or as I else didn't and then there was the ankle, I think. like I feel bad saying this, but there was just so many injuries that it's hard to keep track of, just quickly writing it down. But aside from really that two months where he re-aggravated an injury, it was just kind of accidental accident or accidental injuries. So I'm not saying that makes it better. Obviously, accidents do happen, and as you get older, your body doesn't or isn't able to tolerate what it once used to be able to tolerate. But... I think he's going to have a much healthier season. I think, if anything, the Blue Jays learned what they missed on last season. And as if, if there's any doubt that he can't play, he's not going to play. Because we've seen what George Springer can do back in the end or throughout uh, August and, and July. Once he had finally, prior to that, he had had about 30 games, which was the equivalent of his spring training. And then he really started to heat up. We've seen what he can do when he's when he's an elite player. As long as he can stay healthy, which I think he can do, as long as the the Blue Jays can manage it better, as long as he can manage it better. I'm not saying that it's one-sided. Obviously, he wanted to get in, and I'm I'm sure that influenced the team. And I think it's fair to say he came back too early after that last injury at the end of the season. But regardless, as long as those things can be managed properly, at least managed better, I think he'll have a, a healthy season. And it it's looking to be a good season because we're now entering year two of six, you know, Year one, okay, whatever. It was a bit of a write-off for him. It was still a good season for him. I think, you know, regardless if you're getting the performances that you did out of him, it's still not a bad season. But we're in the we're kind of in the thick of the competitive schedule now. We're just entering it. We're going to need to see, I think, a, a lot of improvements in how it's managed. But I, I do think it's going to be a healthier year, a more cautious year, I think is the best way to put it. So looking to be a very good season for George Springer because now you know you are without Marcus Simeon so you kind of can't afford to miss out on having Springer in your lineup but we're definitely going to be able to uh I think have a, a better season knowing what went wrong in 2021 and make that better next year yeah I, I'm likely on it as well just because uh pretty much going back to what Mark Mark said when he was healthy the the numbers that he did put up and the flashes that we did see from him so you know, the injury count, Jacob, you went over pretty much all the injuries that he had. I guess, you know, as much as the track record, like the track record is obviously good news in terms of that this or last year was pretty much the year that he suffered mostly from injury. So that's something that at least you're confident about, that it's not kind of a continuing concern year after year. So that gives me a lot of optimism that he will be more healthy uh, next year. The, you know, the, I wonder if the Jays maybe give him a few more days off or a few more DH appearances just to be safe still, maybe kind of continue that over, even if he's pretty much healthy as can be. Uh, I do wonder about that one. And of course, he's going to be another one who's pretty much a main uh, name in this lineup. He's going to be leading off most likely unless anything changes, but most likely he will be that leadoff guy. And, um, you know, for that one, that's why I'm expecting a lot from him next year as well, especially because we just didn't see that from him uh, last year. So uh, th that's pretty much Okay, and we'll do one more. So we'll do one more. Uh, I guess we'll do a pitcher's one um, just because it's the last one. So this one, it's a little bit, you know, this one's also kind of difficult because we saw, I guess we'll do Hunjin Ryu because I have a lot. So we'll do the Hunjin Ryu one. I think that's when that one's going to be a little bit more tricky. So we know what happened last year. Uh, pretty much a good start in April. And then ever since the calendar of May flipped, it was a just a sharp regression from there on out. We know that Hunjin Ryu is most likely putting in the work this offseason to figure things out and fix things for next year. We know that his responsibility in 2022 will be kind of 
you know, it won't be as high as it was in 2020 and 2021. He's likely going to be the three or four starter. We have Kevin Gosman, uh, Jose Barrios are going to be those one, two. And of course, it's going to be either or between Alec Noah or him for the three spot. And the other guy will be the fourth spot. So my question for you, and I guess is my, I'll throw a number in there, but overall too, just kind of your your thoughts on this just overall is that he, you know, for Hunjin Ryu, we're not expecting him to be, you know, lights out on what we kind of saw maybe in 2020. Maybe we are a little bit, but we're just expecting him to be a lot more like a solid third starter and a lot better than what we saw last year. So my question is, Hunjin Ryu bounces back and posts an ERA of 350 at worst. Projected for 369 from the Zips projections, and last year it was 437 to give you a number. So, and I guess even on top of that, just in general, he bounces back and he's solid, especially for a three or four starter next year. Or, you know, if you are on the other side of it, you're expecting him to be maybe just as bad as he was in 2021, or maybe he's a little bit short of that, but he doesn't fully, you know, bounce back to what we are, we're expecting to see from Hunjin Ryu. So I guess I'll leave it for you guys on that one. So I'm just looking at his career stats on uh, baseball reference. And so he came into the league in 2013, was in, he made 30 starts that season, an ERA of three, three, like on the dot, 26 starts the year after 338. So still very, very good numbers overall. 2016, we're not going to count that. He made one start had an ERA over 11, but 2017 his ERA was 377 in 25 starts and then after that that's when he really started to get good like a, a 197 232 269 those those uh three years of just dominance with the Dodgers and then that one with the Blue Jays I, I part of me wants to think that that's what's going to happen but considering most of 2021 was not great for him he had a 437 ERA overall despite the like ridiculous start to the season i'm thinking his numbers are probably going to lean more towards more in the middle of of his early dodger days to, and, and what we saw last season so if you look at 430 or 437 to around 338 i'm i'm thinking we'll probably see the 2017 ryu and i know i'm just picking random seasons here but his era that season was 377 and 25 starts he threw 126 innings uh, and overall was not a terrible season for him. Like if you can get a 377 ERA out of your three or of your really even your three starter, but your four or five starter, I would say that that's an absolute win. Uh, but in terms of Ryu bouncing back, he's definitely going to bounce back. He's not going to have an ERA close to five, but I do. I, I'm going to I'm going to take the over and say it's going to be around 360, just a little bit over. I, I think that we are going to see reg see a bounce back but we're not going to see what we thought we were getting in 2019 or, or i guess it was yeah 2019 when he signed the deal where his era was just among the league leaders like i don't think he's at that point anymore and at least the good thing is is we don't need him to be that like if you can be a solid third starter solid fourth or fifth starter when you have a one-two punch like barrios and gosman you have alec manoa who could be one of the uh, one of the uh, dark horses for one of the best seasons uh, or one of a, uh, one of the top seasons in terms of pitching in the American League you do not need four or five aces and I'm not obviously you want four or five aces but in terms of Ryu I think there's going to be a bounce back but knowing that he doesn't have to be the guy in the rotation I don't think that he's going to be top of the rotation type stuff which is unfortunate you want him to do well but I do think it's his ERA is going to be around 360-ish, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily what we what we saw in peak Ryu back in 2018, 2019, and 20. The number of 350 that you bring up, Bryson, is interesting because I think that's right around where I anticipate his ERA being. So I guess if we are doing the over under of the FanGraphs projection of 369, I take the under. But if we're doing the confidence interval. For what we expect it to be at to be under 350 i'll say it's likely um part of me thinks that ryu's struggles in 2021 were just because of mechanics and that's because you look at uh, i know it's tempting with a pitcher of his age and you know his history of a guy who doesn't rely on velocity and stuff it's tempting to look at that and say it's because he's aging. Like, he is getting older. He's going to be entering his age 35 season for the Blue Jays in 2022. I think it's tempting to look at that and say he's just past his prime. But you look at the numbers on 
StatCast on Baseball Savant and um, Ryu's velocity ticked up towards the end of the season. His spin rate ticked up towards the end of the season. And to me, those two things indicate that it's not because he's getting older. We know that he's a finesse pitcher. We know that he relies on precise control of where every pitch is going. So to me, the fact that both the velocity and the spin rate improved while he um, got worse, to me that tells me that his command was lacking and he had some hitch in his delivery towards the end of the season that made him struggle and the Blue Jays couldn't figure it out. But I think this offseason, they're going to work really hard to figure out what that hitch was and he's going to bounce back a little bit in 2022. Now, he's not going to be the you know, the guy he was in 2019 when he led the league in ERA at 2.32 and he was second in Cy Young voting and an all-star and he got a few MVP votes. He's not going to be that guy. But I think he is going to bounce back to the point where his velocity is going to maintain the same that it was in 2021. His spin rate is going to be the same and he's going to f- figure out whatever the hitch in his delivery, whatever the mechanical issue was to improve back to, like I said, 3.5 is probably about where I would project it for him. So I think even at that number, he's going to be the number four starter in the rotation. I think even with a 3.5 ERA, it's going to go Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, Alec Manoa, then Hinjin Ryu. But that is a amazing problem for the Blue Jays to have when you have a guy with a 3.5 ERA being the fourth starter in the rotation. So that's what I would put it at. Yeah, I'm going to say it's, I'll say it's possible. I mean, I think, I do think that it'll be around that mark too. But of course, there's obviously the chance that it's a little bit higher than that. I do think it won't be above four. I think the worst we might see is maybe the high threes. And yeah, I mean, pretty much the points that you guys were saying, it just, mechanics, everything was pretty much off with him ever since of May. And you figure that, you know, he's getting an off season to work on things and figure things out of when it exactly went wrong. Um, you know, that's something that he's addressing and I'm sure he's going to be a little bit more motivated uh, for next year as well. And I thought Jacob brought up a good point is that they don't necessarily need him to be that 2019 Ryu. They have the help. They have, they signed Kevin Gosman. They have Jose Barrios who they committed to long-term. You have Alec Manoa who's up and coming. And um, that's why I think that the responsibility for him, as much as we are, we hope he's a lot better, we don't necessarily need him to be spectacular. We just, in a way, he needs to be a lot better than he was in 2021 because there was a lot of winnable games that they had. Um, and unfortunately that he just didn't start, he didn't have a good performance against. And one team that pretty much sticks in my head for performances where he just let down was against Baltimore for some reason against the Baltimore Orioles Hunjin Ryu struggled and um, you know things like that got to be cleaned up for next year of course we're expecting it to not be that bad or pretty much to that level but we don't know entirely so 437 was the ERA in 2021 the FIP was 402 so that gives me a little bit of optimism too to show that he was a bit unlucky and if we're assuming that He's going to fix the mechanics and get better. You can assume that that number is going to try and or could easily be below four. And that's what I'm hoping to see from Hunjin Ryu this year. So at 350, I'll say it's possible, but I'm more kind of just for my expectation level for him to be anywhere close to, or anywhere under the, the four margin. So that's why uh, that's my reasoning for being possible. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic for him next year. I think we're going to see a better version of what we saw in 2021. But again, I don't think it's going to be from 2019 or 2020 or even the year prior in 2018. But uh, I think we should be, you know, it, we should be a little bit optimistic for him to bounce back a, a bit in 2022. So that's why I'm pretty uh, set on that. And I think um, if all goes well, too, he could be one of the people. If he's pitching well in 2022 and we're assuming that Alec Manoa is going to continue where he left off, we're assuming that Barrios and Gosman will be the one-two that's a solid rotation right then and there. And that kind of backs the case even more that this team could easily be favorites to win this division, even though we know that they are at the moment, but that could even further support that point. And of course, we don't know what the fifth starter spot's going to be. So this the rotation itself is set. The lineup is almost set, barring any last-minute additions. So this team overall, with Hunjin Ryu contributing, I think it's going to help a, a lot in 2022. There's going to be a lot of good... You know, especially if he decides to pitch well, he could be one of the best three, four starters in the league in terms of a starting rotation. So that's definitely an asset that you have. You have two more years of Hunjin Ryu, so we hope that he can figure things out because we just didn't see that in 2021. Now, there was a couple starts where you fit, you thought there was flashes of it, but then after that, it just went right back to what we saw from May, June, and uh, it kind of just downward spiral, spiraled from there. So that's why... He's somebody that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on this year, and you have to assume that he he knows pretty much of what happened last year, and he's going to make sure it doesn't happen again. 
Exactly. We'll be looking forward to see how many home runs Vladdy hits, what Ryu's ERA is, how many errors Bichette has, how many games George Springer plays. We're going to be looking forward to all that. Um, until then, we're still stuck in the lockout, still stuck in labor negotiations, but we'll be back next week with an update on that. Until then, you can always find us on social media at Section138Pod. You can support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash Section138Pod. You can also, um, if you haven't done so already, give us a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So we'll catch you next week. Now